the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today. The Holy Bible emphasizes the priority of prayer and fasting in the Old and New Testaments. That alone reveals the importance of consistent devotion to these doctrines in our Christian lives. During this season of Lent, Pastor Draper shares a three-part series on their spiritual significance. We cannot comprehend the unspeakable joy, as well as the spiritual and personal rewards that await us when we faithfully fulfill these commandments. Listen in with Bible, pen, and paper handy, as you will want to take notes. Let me ask you a question. Where is your quiet, undisturbed, quiet place where you and God frequently get together in time of prayer and spiritual refreshment. Now, with that solitary place, a quiet place, that means that you have to shut down the noise. And the reason some of you all don't have prayer going on in your homes is because your house is too noisy. The television is running even when you're not looking at it. There goes the radio, there's the beeper and the internet and the bells and the whistles and the gadgets and on and on and go. No wonder you you can't pray. And I've come to the conclusion that some of you all are scared of solitude and quietness. Why don't you have it? If you if, when you make up your mind to pray, you have to shut off some things, shut down some things and pull away so that you can talk to God without being disturbed. The devil is too busy. He's too dangerous. The world is too dangerous and the world is too busy and people are in a mess and, and, and they'll have you all so messed up that you'll never get to praying. Let me tell you something about prayer. Prayer must be sincere from the heart without meaningless babble and repetitive words. Prayer must be sincere from the heart without meaningless babble and repetitive words. Well, you see that in verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their, look, many words. Just because you pray, pray long doesn't mean you're praying right. You can pray, you can pray long and be ignorant. Yeah, that's right. And some, some of the best prayers are your short prayers. Listen, there are times when all I can say is, Lord, have mercy. Or help me, Jesus. Or I need you now, Lord. Those are, those are short prayers, but just as impacting and just as effective to the glory of God. Yeah. And then there are times when I need to stay down there a while and just pray and then pray in my own prayer time. And let me tell you something. If you can get up and act the same, if you can get off your knees and cuss somebody out, if you can get up and steal and act ignorant and act ugly and get beside yourself, you need to, you got up too quick. Get back on your knees. Get back down there. You got up because when you get up, prayer ought to change you. That's right. 
I can lay my religion down. If you lay it down, you don't have one. Get back down on your knees and pray until God get a hold of you. I said uh, in the first service this morning, there's a brother years ago in the, uh, the other location. God just knocked him out right on the floor. And, just, and he stayed there just by the whole service. He needed to be there. God, God knows how to knock you down. You get beside yourself. I said, leave him alone. He need, let, let him lay there. God's dealing with him. You know, and God knows how to knock. Listen, if you, if you don't humble yourself, God knows how to humble you. God will knock you down. Knock, sometimes God don't wait till you get out of church to knock you out. God will knock you out right in church. That's right. At the yard, we need a reverential fear of Almighty God. What happens if God's people fail to pray? What happens if God's people fail to pray? Number one, a prayerless life gives Satan all kinds of opportunities to wreak havoc in our lives. We are easily exploited when we fail to pray. We are easily misled when we fail to pray. We are easily deceived and defeated when we, when we fail to pray. We are easily led to believe a lie when we fail to pray. We are more prone to yield to temptation when we fail to pray, which will result in our physical and spiritual demise. You don't want to be exploited and taken advantage of by the enemy. And you give Satan all kind of operating room in your life when there is no prayer. Ephesians 4.27 says, nor give place to the devil. And when you fail to pray, you are giving place to the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be diligent, because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is out to destroy your marriage. You say, well, I've been married 40 years. Satan doesn't care about that. They're 40, married 40 years, been divorced. Satan wants your marriage as much now as he did when you first said, I do. Satan wants your child. He wants your grandchild. He wants your home. He wants, he wants, he wants your mind. He wants total control of you. And you give yourself over to him. And he wipes you out. And, and, and some of you are given permission by all the stuff that you you open yourselves up to. Secondly, what happens when, when God's people fail to pray? When we fail to pray, we lose our focus. Our minds become more distracted and the weightier things are left undone. We lose our focus when we fail to pray. Our minds become distracted and the weightier things that God is calling us to do is left undone. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says, uh, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That's a kingdom mind. Let me tell you something about Colossians 3, 2. What is this verse saying? Set your mind on things above. To set our minds on things above is to live in a continuous pursuit of things that have lasting eternal value. That's what that means. It is to live in continuous pursuit of things that have lasting eternal value. And some of you, you, you pursue the spurs and then they go on a six game losing streak. Uh, you pursue the Cowboys and they can't even play in, a suit, in their own stadium in the, in the Super Bowl. You, you pursue friends and they let you down. God says, pursue me. Seek first the kingdom of God. I won't let you down. I won't betray you. To set your mind on things of the above, above means this. One whose mind is set on things above will refuse to allow himself or herself to be pulled in so many directions that he fails to fulfill God's plan for his or her life. Do you realize when you don't have a kingdom mind and when, you're, when your mind is not set on things above, you'll find yourself torn in many directions 
And when you look around, you have nothing to show for your life. God knows where you are and he knows to get how to get you where you need to be in the fullness of time. And when you have a kingdom mind, your mind is set on things above. Listen, it is sweet and you find yourself not being cared about in so many agendas and directions. Another thing about setting your mind on things above is, is to consider is this. One who is kingdom minded will set his mind on things above and only do those things that please the father. Well, your mind is a heavenly mind. When you have a Christ centered mind, when you're consumed with seeking God and his kingdom work, then you are determined to seek to do those things that pleases him. And I like the latter part of that verse. Look, look, look what John 8, 29 says. If you have your Bible, you need to turn there. It is a powerful verse. And what happens is that you don't get spiritual truth because you're so quick to go through this, to, to just rush through the word of God. John 8, 29 says, and he who sent me is with me. Wow. The father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. I love that latter part of that verse. I always do those things, uh, says the scripture, says God, Jesus, that please him. Isn't that wonderful? When you have a goal of mind, mindset that says, I always do those things that please him. How I handle my responsibilities in the workplace. I want to please God as a mother. I want to be a godly mother that loves my children. I want to be a godly father that's, that's a priest in the home, that's showing uh, the children how to love a wife in a wonderful way. I want to be a father who's known for praying for the children. I want to be a mother who can sing songs over the children. And when the children leave the house, they can leave knowing that they are what they are because my parents prayed for me. And that's, that's pleasing God, pleasing God, pleasing him in what you say and, and choosing relationships you get engaged in and all of these things and what you see and what you do and how you behave. Everything ought to be in line with pleasing God. As we continue today's message, Pastor Rander provides answers to key questions that will strengthen our resolve to pray and fast. What is prayer? What should be our posture in prayer? What is fasting? How should we approach fasting? What happens if God's people fail to pray? What happens when God's children pray? Keep listening as Pastor Rander guides us through God's word for the answers to these questions. Remember to keep Bible, pen, and paper handy. Thirdly, when we fail to pray, we can be assured that there will be an increase of sin in our lives and in the Lord's church. When there's a deficient prayer life, there will be an increase of sin in our personal lives and then an increase of sin in the Lord's church. And the reason uh, the churches are, in, uh, are ineffective and don't have power and can't rise to God's a high calling for, for his church is because of sin that is latent and dormant in the church. And, uh, and what God is saying is that you need to, there's a call to righteousness. There's a call to holiness. And, people, and we're not to 
to bring our standards down. How are you how are people going to get changed with bringing your standards down? We need to keep the Lord's standards high and challenge people to rise up to his standards so that you can see transformation to the glory of God. I mean, everything is going down, 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 down. And so God is saying, God is calling for a holy church. The reason the church is not holy because there are too many loose living pastors. I mean, preaching one thing and doing another. Not just in the pulpit, but it's also in the pew too. Loose living, when you can have sex with somebody you, you're not married to. That's loose. That's loose. You're getting quiet now. You're having adulterous relationships in your mind. You haven't committed the act, but Jesus said you've already committed adultery in your heart. That's loose. When you're gambling, that's sin. When you're lying and cussing and stealing and fronting and hypo, being hypocritical, all that's sin. And it's evil. It's evil. It's evil. And so, uh, and, and looking at Harry Potter and all these r- r- movies, y'all, look, y'all not saying amen now, it's just going out the window, messing with psychics and looking at movies that's rated who knows what, and you can laugh at sin. That's evil. And then you're wondering why your life is the way it is. You see, Matthew 26, 40, 41 says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And let me tell you something. Your flesh will get the best of you if you're not praying. And, 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 and listen, it's tough when your flesh is out of control and the Holy Spirit is not regulating your flesh. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32 says, Luke 22, 31 through 32, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked, for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Simon was saying, oh, Lord, I not deny you. I, I not deny you. No, Lord. He said, Simon, 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 Peter. <laughs> as in the case of Job, Satan asked God for permission to attack Job. As in the case of Job, Satan asked permission to sift Simon, who is Peter, as wheat. Now, Jesus, knowing how Peter would buckle under the weight and pressure to the point of denying the Savior, Jesus prays that what Satan meant for evil in Peter's life would be used to purge Peter's life of the dross, that Peter's denial would be used ultimately to strengthen his faith, Strengthen his spiritual life, which will result in Peter strengthening the brothering. God eventually restored Peter after Peter had failed God miserably. And you say, well, how could Peter have done that? Well, look what you do. Look what I do. Who in here has not failed God? All of us have failed God. God has told you to witness to someone and you kept your mouth shut. At the time, you should have blessed your food, but you didn't want to bless in public for what folk going to say. The time you yielded and didn't speak the truth and you let a lie go forth. You, you disown Christ. You disown him with what you, how you dress and how you look. And so all of us have failed God. So Peter is not by himself. And we all need to do like Peter, repent and be Peter wept bitterly before the Lord. And he was sick in his soul. 
for what he had done. But God used him, restored him, as it says in John 21, and Peter was mightily used in the New Testament church. With that being said, what happens when God's children pray? What happens when God's children pray? Number one, prayer keeps me from becoming entangled in relationships that will cause me to compromise God's word and disconnect me from my fellowship with God. That's what it does. That's critical. Prayer keeps me from becoming what? Entangled in what? Relationships that will cause me to compromise the word of God and disconnect me from fellowship with God. Allow me to give you some scriptures as it relates to that. First Corinthians 15, says, don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. That's the New Living Translation. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 through 30 is another profound text. I want every one of you with a Bible to turn there uh, because when you allow relationships to trude into your life at, at your permission, it causes you to compromise the word and disconnect you from fellowship with God. Matthew 5, 29 through 30. When you find it, say amen. Look what it says. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. You see that? You say, wow, what a staggering, cutting passage. Does that mean that if my hand does something wrong, I'm to cut off my hand? And if I looked at something I shouldn't look at, I should gouge my eye out and pluck my eye out? No, this passage is not teaching body mutilation. What it's teaching is that anything that, that comes between you and God that causes you to go into spiritual regression, you cut that out of your life. You cut that out of your life. This passage has spiritual implications here. Cut off, cut out anything that's causing you to regress in your relationship with God. And a whole lot of you need some, some things cut out of your life. Cut out of your life. Some of y'all can't make any uh, progress for God because you are TV addicts. You need to cut it off. Yeah, you don't have to cut your finger, but you can't cut off that television. Huh? Some of you... Pornography is getting the best of you on the internet. If, if that's the case, get rid of the computer. That's right. And get, you say, yeah, get rid of it. If it's making you sick spiritually and putting you in the chastening, under the chastening and judgment of God, you need to get rid of it. Get rid of it. You need to get rid of some folk that cause you to act worse when you're around them. You need to cut those relational. I said, well, they're my homeboy. They're my sorrow. They're my fraternity. That's my high school boom coon buddy. Get your boom coon buddy out of your life so that you can make some headway in your walk with the Lord. Won't y'all say amen? You see, boldness to stand alone is received through prayer and fasting. Many fail to live holy because of the corrupting influences they allow to remain in their lives to their spiritual and physical detriment. We must cut off anything, say anything, and anyone, say anyone, 
who will put us in danger of God's judgment. Cut it off. Cut off. Cut off gambling. Cut off that woman that's about to make you sin that's coming into your. Cut off that extra woman and cause you that's about to cause you to be unfaithful to your wife or that man or so forth and so on. Cut those things out of your life. Stop flirting with sin. Stop flirting with sin. I can handle it. No, you can't. That's why you're in it. Then you, well, then you, let me pose another question. At what point does one know when to sever relationships? That's a big one. You need to write every one of these points down. At what point? Some folk in your life, you should have let go a long time ago because you know better off than you are. You know better off now than you were when you met them. <laughs> So at what point does uh, one, at what point does one know when to sever a certain relationship? Number one, when that relationship brings out the worst in you. Every time you get around them, they silly, you get silly. You trying to stop cussing, they cuss, and then you start cussing with them. You try drinking is getting the best of you, and when they pop a coors, you pop yours too, or whatever it is, sanguine or sanguine. Whatever. What's that thing called? Sangria. Some of y'all, now all of a sudden, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. Sangria and all the other things I can't call. You say, you didn't call mine. Well, whatever yours is. You see, you know, you, you, uh, it, whatever's bringing the worst out of you. When, when that relationship brings out the worst in you, it's time to let that person go. Number two, when you begin to decline spiritually to the point that you no longer resist temptation, but rather succumb to it. You run that person, you were doing pretty good until they came into your life. And now you regressing because they have enticed you and you have succumbed. And you know what? Thank you, Holy Ghost. That's what makes Facebook so dangerous. You, you connecting yourself to all these people. All of a sudden you discover these people and then, then you start discovering your old boyfriend and your old girlfriend and you start digging. Listen, God let, listen, God got you away and now Satan is using technology to reconnect you with folk who God really don't want you to be with to your own demise. He says, oh, I'm glad to see you. God says, I'm not glad that you met him. Who told you that you have to be connected to 500 people? And who told you that? Why do you think you're so important? Why do you need all them people in your life? That's why you can't get anywhere. You're going to be 80 years old. Nothing to show for, for God. Nothing to show for God. All these people. I know everybody. I'm connected. There's an over-socialization in us. And then you're proud of it. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. You better get in God's book. You better get in God's book. Facebook, God's book. You're in the wrong book. Won't you connect with God? Won't you connect with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Huh? Why don't you connect with Hezekiah? Why don't you connect with Nahum? Why don't you connect with... All these soldiers, Joseph, why don't you connect with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judge, and Ruth? Why don't you connect with all them? You texting the wrong people. Text the book. That's why your life is dry. You in everything but, but, but God's book. And your life, your life is a mess because you're excited about the wrong thing. 
Well, now that was all number two. Let me give you number three. I'm feeling pretty good right now. I just got my second win. Number three. At what point does one know when to sever relationships? When a person is non-repentant and under divine chastening. When a person is non-repentant and under divine chastening. You get a person who's sinning and don't care less about it and can sleep with ease. Sin don't even bother them. And you call yourself, that's your buddy, that's your frat, your sorrow, your lifetime, whatever. And listen, when you start entangling yourself with those kind of persons and you getting so close and so, and then when God's chastening hand hits, guess what happens? You get hit too because you're so close that you can't even miss that hit. I don't like running with people that's, that's acting wild and foolish and crazy. I'm not going to get your whooping. Amen. I don't want to get, man, Jesus know how to give you a licking like you have never seen. You think your mama can whoop, your daddy can whoop. You haven't seen a whooping until Jesus whooped you. And some of y'all tied into it and, them, and those persons you tied into are sinning and then you, you can't let them go. And God said, okay, I'm going to hit them, but you're going to get the backlash of that hit. You're going to get the backlash of that hit. You said, can you give me some scriptures on that? Now, oh, I sure can. Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them. Don't tell me you can't understand. Now, who, how many of y'all understand that? Don't tell me. I don't understand the Bible. Yes, you do. The Bible just says stay away from them. What that means? Stay away from them. So they will be ashamed. In his conclusion to this series, Pastor Rander imparts godly wisdom to two additional questions. At what point does one know when to sever certain relationships? And why does God require us to confess our sin? The key to every aspect of our spiritual journey is total commitment to our Lord and Savior. We are either hot or cold. There is no in-between. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching by Pastor Rander, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church located in Converse, Texas. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.